Web Services. Welcome to the Cloud and Out Podcasts. We are your hosts, Andreas and Michael Wittig. We discuss all things AWS and share our uh, insights into our day-to-day -day work. This is episode uh, 67, which we are recording on January the 18th in 2023. In case you're watching this live on YouTube, feel free to ask questions in the chat. And here's a message from our partner. Are you looking for a job? AWS expertise is in high demand. Our partner Demikon is looking for a cloud operations lead working remotely from Germany or the EU. Lead a growing team of cloud architects and DevOps engineers, uh, manage service delivery and hire new team members. Demikon is one of the largest technical consulting teams and a leading Atlassian full service provider uh, in Germany. Join Demikon uh, building their new business unit with a focus on cloud technologies. You will find more details in the show notes or video descriptions. And if that fits for you, then you should apply today. Okay, Michael. So um, we decided to redo the format of the podcast a little bit. So um, within the next weeks, uh, our, our approach is that we share a little bit of insights into our day-to-day -day work, discuss things that um, we found out about AWS or maybe uh, that surprised us, stuff like that. Um, so that is a, the, the focus of our show. We are no longer focusing especially on the news. So we are just focusing on stuff that came along when building on AWS. That's what we do every day. Um, so I, I'd like to start with, with two things that, I'm, that we are currently working on or I have been currently working on in the past week. So there's good news um, because... The, um, the third edition of our book, AWS in Action, is very close uh, <laughs> to getting printed. So um, I've been reviewing what the publisher Manning is calling first pages. So basically, they do the layout of the book and then they send you PDFs with the, with the pages and you have to review them and mark things that have not been translated from our manuscript into um, the, the layout correctly. So that's what I've been doing. That This is one of the last steps in the whole process. So I'm really excited about that. And um, besides that, um, we've been doing um, a, a beta test for the AWS debug games uh, recently. And I've been collecting feedback from various um, participants or players, actually. And um, I have... I have something other to announce which is the aws debug games are now in public beta which means uh, everyone who wants to try out um, is able to do so uh, it's games.cloudonout.io and there you'll find two games to prove your aws debugging skills and of course um, you learn a lot uh, while doing so as well so we have some guides and stuff that help you to go through those games and basically you debug issues in uh, an AWS infrastructure, like I want to share one feedback that we that we receive, um, like for um, from players, and and I think most of them uh, report or kind of uh, send us uh, uh, feedback, and they tell us that they learn something new. So, for example, uh, when you debug the VPC issue, and then chances that you will. Uh, use a new tool that you never used before are very high um, so uh, this is really something interesting uh, for you uh, to check out so if you 
and, and and i think the games are not i mean they maybe take 10 minutes to play right it's not a lot of time that you need to invest so you can you can try them out and and there is very likely something for you to learn even if you are using aws for a long time uh, as well as for uh, beginners so that's just one thing i want to add andreas here um so what i did um in in the last days is um we uh we launched a new feature for marbot which is uh, our uh, aws monitoring chatbot and I uh, added a feature that we call Monitoring Assistant. And basically what it does is um, you can connect now your AWS account with Marbot. And then Marbot creates CloudWatch alarms, event bridge rules, and all kinds of uh, things that are necessary to monitor your workload automatically. And this was added uh, at the very end of the uh, last year for Slack um, workspaces. And what I did and uh, this uh, in the last days is I basically enabled these features for Microsoft Teams as well. So now you can, in Microsoft Teams, connect your AWS account as well, and then Marbot basically, in the background, um, uh, runs um, Terraform for you. <laughs> and that's uh, kind of uh, what happens under the hood. And um, one thing that I learned here, Andreas, and that is uh, what I want to share with, with the audience is um, we use the new event bridge scheduler in the background to trigger um, our Terraform apply runs every um, six hours at the moment. And what happened um, is um, that I, like when someone disables the feature or disables a region basically, an AWS region, um, we delete the schedule as well. And what I did is I was assuming that when I delete the schedule, I will not receive further invocations for the schedule. Turns out that's not the case. So in, in, in some situations, it is possible that the schedule is deleted, but you will still receive an invocation a couple of seconds um, um, after that. And, and this was confusing because the code was not expecting that. So I was kind of relying on it. Um, but it's, it's, it's not the case. It, it's not very clearly documented, um, but um, it's not documented at all. So neither behavior is documented. So um, from observation... Um, I learned that it's possible that an invocation happens after the fact that you deleted the schedule and you get the call, uh, like the response from the API back. So what we now do in our code, we basically check uh, before we run um, Terraform um, if it was destroyed before. Because what happened is that we, we run Terraform destroy and then the schedule fired another Terraform apply and then we rebuild all the infrastructure <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we had to delete it again after that. So, um, and now that's not happening uh, anymore because um, we have a check for that in our code now. Mm -hmm. So we make sure once it is um, in the disabling state, it cannot be uh, applied anymore. Yeah. So that's something that I want to share, Andreas. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you are surprised by that or not. but <laughs> Yeah, um, at least yeah. I didn't expect it. So it makes kind of sense because it's probably most likely a, very, a highly distributed system. So it makes sense that it's not, um, or that's eventually consistent. So, yeah. But I, I wouldn't have expected it probably as well. So, um, yeah, very interesting learning about the uh, event bridge scheduler. Um, okay, let me uh, proceed. So, so I learned um, uh, new things about uh, basically a tool that I've been using for years recently. So that's uh, sometimes that happens. And I like that a lot when, <laughs> when you learn something new about something that you have been doing for quite some time. And so I'm, I'm using Packer. Uh, by HashiCorp to build AMIs, or, or we both use it. Probably many, many people out there use it as well because it's a very uh, easy-to-use tool to to build your AMIs to deliver your applications or do golden AMIs, stuff like that. And um, 
um, I, I learned two things. So in, in scenarios where you use multi-AWS accounts and you want to encrypt the AMI, um, what you need is uh, you need to use um, a specific KMS key, a customer-managed uh, KMS key, to be able to share this AMI with other accounts, for example, in the organization. Because the default key, that, which is the other option that you can use to encrypt your AMIs, uh, is only valid uh, within one account. So you cannot pass an AMI to another account because that account cannot use the default EBS uh, key by KMS. Uh, so that is um, why I, um, yeah, qu from time to time, have to use a customer-managed KMS key when building uh, AMIs with Packer. And um, during the, while watching the deployment pipelines that is building an AMI with Packer, I was noticing that it takes quite some time um, to basically finish. Um, the AMI um, at the end of the whole process. So Packer starts the EC2 instance, then it creates the AMI. And after that, basically, Packer was starting to copy the AMI and encrypting the AMI. And this took several minutes, five to 10 minutes. So this is really quite uh, significant. And I was wondering um, whether there is a way to speed things up a little bit. And the good news is there is a way to do so. And um, the thing is, um, when you use a uh, packer, and um, then there is an option basically that says um, encrypt, uh, um, encrypt uh, the AMI, and you can also provide your KMS key. But that, by doing that, uh, at the end of the whole process, basically, uh, you are copying the AMI and then encrypting it. What you can do instead of that is when launching the EC2 instance with Packer from the base AMI that you are starting from, you can at this point say, I want to launch an instance based on this AMI, but with an encrypted EBS volume. Um, this is possible in Packer by using uh, what is called um, a launch block device mapping. So this is just a configuration parameter. And um, by doing so, basically the instance that Packer starts launches with an encrypted uh, volume and when you then create the AMI, it is automatically encrypted with the same key uh, as well. So this um, frees you from um, copying the image at the end of the PECO process for encrypting it, and this speeds up things significantly. Um, this only, um, or this, the main, um, the main advantage is when you not have to copy the AMI to multiple regions, because if you have to do so, you still have to copy AMI job at the end of Packer. But if you're only building for one region, uh, then this really speeds uh, up your Packer process significantly. So uh, summarized, um, when you build encrypted AMI, um, use the launch block device mappings um, and set encryption and KMS key there, instead of using um, the more general uh, encryption um, basically uh, of the whole Packer uh, process, which does a copy at the end of it. And um, so that was one thing I learned about Packer. Uh, it speeds up things. And then um, I looked into something different. And because the problem I had is, um, so we, we typically try to avoid SSH connections those days. 
Um, so whenever we uh, launch an instance, typically we do not even uh, open the TCP 22 port for SSH connections anymore because we use uh, the systems manager set, uh, session manager for those things. Um, because it's, um, yeah, it's very, uh, I think a very good thing to do because the authentication is then handled by uh, identity and access management of AWS. And also you don't have to open all those ports and stuff. So th I think it really makes sense. Uh, and in this specific scenario, I didn't have a network where I could reach the SSH port at all. So I was limited. And I was looking for a way to build a Packer image without and having an active uh, SSH uh, connection to the machine that, uh, that Packer starts. And I thought, oh, maybe, maybe Packer supports the session manager. And I was... Actually, I was not expecting <laughs> that this works out of the box, but uh, the good news is that Packer supports that out of the box. So it's, it's really, really easy to use. So all you have to do is there is a, a parameter called SSH interface, and there you can just specify session manager instead of uh, SSH. And then all you, the, the other thing you need is you need to define an IAM uh, policy for the EC2 instance that um, that is required for the SSM agent to contact uh, the SSM uh, API. So you use a temporary IAM instance profile policy document for that, where you, you just allow SSM messages, EC2 messages, and so on. So the, the thing that is needed for uh, the session manager. And after that, uh, Packer spins up an EC2 machine and then uses the session manager to connect to the machine, which is really cool um, and um, frees you from open the TCP port uh, 22. Like one question, Andreas. Mm -hmm. Like is um, like the example in the AWS in Action book. Um, I, th I I remember that you created that a new chapter. So is is it using <laughs> this um, way as well, or is it using oh, the Oh Michael, oh Michael, I I think uh, unfortunately I did that before. I learned about this feature. <laughs> okay, I see. <laughs> so, so I might. <laughs> so it's maybe a little too late to change this, but yeah, it would yeah. work there. But well. I mean, the downside is that it it requires an an installed AWS CLI with the session manager plugin, right? I think that's how it yes. is called. Yes. So I mean, it's a little bit um, harder to get it started because yeah. most people will have an SSH uh, client, but probably yeah. not this plugin installed. Then. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, but it, it was very helpful, and I think in for the use cases that I have, I will probably use it as a default in the future. Sorry, I also changed this uh, in Bucket AV, so the way we, we create the AMI there, it's also now using Session, session Manager. Yeah, so I think those two things, speed up Packer um, when using KMS encryption and use Session Manager instead of SSH. Um, this is really two cool features uh, of Packer that I didn't know before. I wanted to share here. I will put links to all of that in the show notes. So if you uh, want to apply that to your own setup, uh, you find links for that in the show notes. Uh, Michael, I have one more thing uh, for today. So actually, yes, I, I, when <laughs> I, I, I said at the beginning that I was reviewing the first pages of our uh, book, the third edition of our book, and I was reading through the Lambda chapter. So we have a chapter on Lambda in our book. And at the end of the chapter, we have some examples of what you can do with Lambda as well. And uh, one is um, talking about the possibility to configure a VPC uh, for a Lambda function. So you can uh, mm -hmm. yeah, enable VPC connectivity for your Lambda function, uh, specify the subnets and stuff like that. 
Um, and I looked at the figure that we had there, and it was just saying, okay, the Lambda function now has access to resources in the same VPC, like an RDS instance or another EC2 instance or stuff like that. And also it allows connectivity to the internet, so any third-party APIs that you want to use or stuff like that. And I was stumbling upon that because we in the, in the figure we just had an internet gateway in there. So I was wondering about that. Uh, does that really work? Because um, I had something in my mind that something is tricky here. And then I've tried to find out in the documentation. And um, so it was not clear to me. And I just was um, uh, assuming that this will work because of the things that I've been reading in documentation. But then a few weeks later, <laughs> I deployed a Lambda function in a VPC in a public subnet. And um, it was not... Um, able to reach um, APIs uh, over the internet. Uh, so I was looking into the details and then I remembered something that I learned uh, probably a few years ago already, uh, that when you configure a VPC for a Lambda function, it, there is an, uh, it creates an, an elastic network interface for that function. But um, no matter uh, which submits you choose, um, the Elastic Network Interface of the Lambda functions only gets a private IP uh, um, associated. There's no public IP address associated with the network interface. Mm -hmm. So that means because the public uh, internet IP address is required uh, for all resources that want to uh, use the internet gateway for outbound communication, uh, this is not possible. So basically what you need, no matter if you deploy it into a public or a private subnet, you need a NAT gateway uh, to be able to contact third-party APIs uh, over the internet. So that is, uh, was an important relearning of a fact that I, I'm 100% sure that I've been running into that before, but I just forgot about it. And um, yeah, this is just about the, the small details <laughs> that you need to be aware of. Andreas, that's a very good game number three, right? I mean, we could just deploy a Lambda function in a public subnet without a NAT gateway, and then the, the player has to figure out why it's not working. Oh, Michael, <laughs> that's very good, yeah. <laughs> I have to do that. Yeah, and I hope that others um, can use my example to <laughs> maybe learn for it, uh, about it for the first time or relearn it <laughs> so that, that you're not running into that uh, the next time you, you use VPC for Lambda functions. Yeah. Okay, Michael, um, that's it, I would say. Uh, we will be back next week. Uh, in the meantime, subscribe to our newsletter, podcast, or YouTube channel to make sure you're not missing the upcoming shows. Uh, also, we want to thank our supporters who make this show possible. Please consider supporting our work with a recurring or one-time donation as well. You find uh, details and links uh, in the show notes. Thanks a lot for your attention. Bye. Bye.